Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For the next two Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be focusing on the latter third of Romans chapter 8, which you have before you part of that. And uh, some of you who might be visiting don't know that I love doing sermon series. Anytime I can figure out how to do a sermon series, I do it. And I do one every fall and every Lent. I'll do a sermon series. And I've always been tempted to do a sermon series on Paul's letter to the Romans because it is such a rich letter. It has so much content to it and so much power to it. There's a famous preacher by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Anybody heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones? few of you? Yes. He was a Welsh preacher who um, preached in the British Isles, and he preached a series on Paul's letter to the Romans. It was 14 volumes. He published his sermons. 14 volumes. He preached for years on Paul's letter to the Romans. And here's the best part. He preached for 50 to 60 minutes every week. That would be great, wouldn't it? (laughs) So that tells you how much content he was able to draw from Paul's letter to the Romans. And I'm going to preach the next two weeks on it. I won't be preaching 50 to 60 minutes. Maybe a little longer. No, just kidding. (laughs) But there's such riches in this particular passage. And some of you know that Paul wrote to the Romans that the greatest empire in the ancient world lasted for hundreds of years. And this was the capital city. And the church was already established there relatively quickly even though Paul himself had never visited. And he knew people there, and he didn't know some of the people there. And his intention was eventually to get there. And so he wrote this letter by way of introduction of himself and wanting them to be clear on what the gospel message was. So Romans 1 through 8, in many ways, is popularly called the gospel according to Paul. And this is the end of it. This is the culmination. This is, if you will... The punchline, where the payoff comes because of the gospel unfolding. And there's a connection which we're going to make in Romans chapter 5 as well, that kind of connects some of the dots that Paul lays the foundation for. We'll get to that in a moment. But this particular scripture that we have before us many times is read at funerals in our church. And one of the reasons that it's read is because it is full of such power and such hope and such a strong message of the gospel and the love of God in Jesus Christ that when you fully understand it and you fully understand the impact of not only the gospel and all these chapters as Paul lays it out, but the culmination in Romans 8, there's a tremendous message 
that should not only give you hope, it should give you confidence. And that's what Paul's driving at. So by the time you arrive at this point in Romans, and in particular Romans chapter 8, there's promise and there's hope. That's the two bywords of this particular passage, promise and hope. Think about a promise just for a second, particularly a promise that has a good payoff. If someone promises you something, you anticipate it. You're excited for it, and you want it to be a good outcome. But we also have people that promise the other side of it too, right? I promise I'm going to get you. Wouldn't you like that one? You don't know when it's coming, but you know it's coming. Let's just change the inflection just for a second. I promise I'm going to get you. That's what the Lord says at the end of this passage. I promise I'm going to get you. And I'm going to make you my own. I'm going to get you because I want you with me for all eternity. That's the promise that comes in this passage through Jesus Christ. And you can trust the promise because of the one who's giving the promise. Because he is trustworthy. Because he's faithful. Because of his character. That he's all good. And the fact that he's all-powerful, he can bring it home for us. And there's hope. How does anyone live without hope? We all want hope. We want hopefulness. We don't want hopelessness. But see, even the whole idea of hope carries with it just... A little bit of doubt. A little bit of questioning. And as this passage unfolds this week and next week, what you see is hope move to, I know. We know. And then the end of Romans chapter 8, that we can live with confidence because of his love. Not just hope, but hope fulfilled. Because of the promise given, because of the promise keeper who offers it. That's what Paul's driving at. And he lays the foundation for this passage in Romans chapter 5. Let me read it for you. You can look at it later. Romans chapter 5. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. See, Paul knows, because he's at the latter part of his life and closer to the end of his ministry, and he sees what's going on in the Roman Empire. And Nero is about to persecute the church. And Paul knows that eventually he's going to end up at Rome, and I think the Lord gave him a hint that he's probably going to suffer and die. And so he lays this foundation in Romans chapter 5 of suffering that moves to endurance to character, to hope, and hope does not disappoint us. And that's what he's driving at as we come to this passage in Romans chapter 8. So now, with that in mind, let's look at Romans chapter 8. If you want to look in your uh, bulletin, or you can look in the Pew Bible page, 
1030. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Now, he starts off with this whole notion and idea of weakness. Who here likes to feel weak? Anybody? I don't like to feel weak. I don't like to feel weak physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. I was in the gym the other day, working out at lunchtime. And as I was working out, I I was having a pretty good workout, and the trainer is talking to one of the people that he's training. And this woman is right around 60, and I'm pushing that. And this guy says, you know, when I turned 40, it just about killed me. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? 40? And I turned to him and I said, when you turned 40, he said, yeah, it was really hard on me. This guy's a trainer. So I said to him, you know, it doesn't get any better when you get to 50 either. (laughs) Just to try to offer some hope. (laughs) You know, the reality is, as we get older, we don't get physically stronger. You know, when, when I greet people at the door, I used to be able to, and some of you who have been around for years and years, you know this, I used to be able to remember everybody's name the first try. I can't do that anymore. I apologize. I've gotten dumber as the years have progressed. Emotionally, you know, when I was in my teens and 20s, I could conquer anything. And I could be a tough guy. And now I get sentimental at times, and I get teary-eyed at times, and it kills me. At times it catch me, catches me off guard. But who wants to grow weaker spiritually as you grow older? I mean, in reality, as we grow older, and I'm becoming more and more in touch with this, we have to admit that we don't always have everything together physically, Mentally, emotionally. But spiritually, I want to grow stronger. But here's the catch. The only way you grow stronger is if you admit your weakness. If you say, I can't do this. I can't do this myself. I can't attain salvation myself. I can't conquer this, whatever challenge it is in your life, relationally, physically, pain, the loss of someone. You can't conquer that without his help. And Paul understood this. And that's why he's writing the way he writes. And he's saying, in your weakness, when all you can do is sigh. Did you ever get to that point? You're working on a project. When I'm working on a project, and I can't do it, and I can't figure it out, one of two things happens. Either I get really angry, or I just sigh. I just can't do this. And what happens when we reach that point? Let me read to you something that I actually read this morning. 
This is not a new idea. I actually read this this morning in my quiet time. It comes from Psalm 77. I think of God and I moan. I meditate and my spirit faints. You keep my eyelids from closing. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. See, that's what we're talking about here. We get to the point that we're so troubled in our spirit, whether it be grief or pain or some kind of sin that's broken into our lives and our lives become broken and our relationships become broken and we sigh. If we sigh to the Lord and we ask the Holy Spirit to come in in the midst of our hopelessness and helplessness, that's when he takes over. See, what happens to the sigh is the sigh turns to a prayer. And when we can't even speak, we can't even pray, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in and prays for us and brings it to the mind of God, who is all-powerful. So sighing in weakness brings us God's power. Sighing in emptiness brings us God's fullness. The sigh, mixed with the sigh of the Holy Spirit, becomes a prayer. And lifts us up to the throne of God. Takes us to the cross where Jesus gave up his last breath, his sigh, and then rose again. See, Paul understood this. This help in our weakness. Sigh too deep for words. Secondly, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. See, this is where the sigh leads us to when we understand the purpose of the sigh. The sigh takes us to a place of promise and takes us to a place of God's love. This promise that we talked about at the beginning so that we can move with confidence to, we know, did you catch it? We know. Not we wonder. Not we question. We know. See, because when we empty ourselves of ourselves, when we're no longer relying on ourselves, when we're not trying on human strength or the power of my personal will, and we turn it over to the Lord, and we recognize the cross and the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit in operation in our lives, then it goes from, we hope so, to we know. We know that all things work together for what? For good. This is not going to turn out badly in the long run. Maybe I can't see it right now. Maybe I can't manufacture it. But it will turn for good. Two qualifiers. Qualifier number one. For those who love God. That's qualifier number one. Do you really love him? Or is your faith just a nice thing you do to make you a good person once in a while? Is your love a love of convenience or casual or self-centeredness? Or is it the kind of love that God demonstrated in Jesus Christ that is agape love, that is self-sacrificial love, 
that brings you to the cross so that you understand the depth of God's love and you respond in kind. That you love Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the whole of your being. The first and great commandment as Jesus called it. That kind of love. That when you love God and you turn to Him and you rely on Him and you say, I trust you because I'm confident in your love. That's when we can come to the place of we know. Who are called according to his purpose. You know, the reality is most of us believe in God because we want God to help us do whatever purpose it is we're about. Right? Hey, God, you got to help me here, right? I mean, you're there for me, right? You got to do it my way, right? See, we want God in our lives according to our purpose. And that's why sometimes we get to the point and say, I don't understand. I can't do this. Where's God in the midst of this? For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And we don't always know His purpose short term. Because He says, all things will work together for good. Trust Him. Trust Him for the long run. Understand that He loves you so much He sent His Son to die for you. Because He's got the long run in view. He's got eternity in view for you. So we seek to love Him and we seek to live for His purpose. And how do we find His purpose? We find His purpose by looking at His Son. We find His purpose... By looking at his word. We find his purpose by emptying ourselves and being filled with the spirit. That's how we find his purpose. Thirdly. If God is for us. Who can be against us? You know I heard this rephrased one time when I was a teenager. It's not great English but it works. God and me are a, makes a, a majority. You like that? God and me makes a majority. Not good English, huh? Teachers amongst you. But it works. Think about it. If God is all powerful and he's all good and he's about working his purposes in your life for your good for all eternity, no one and nothing can defeat that. So it doesn't matter who is against us. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world promises. If God is for us. If God is for us, it doesn't matter what the world throws at us. If God is for us, it doesn't matter what the temptations are that come our way. And God is for us. And the invitation is to turn to Him and trust in Him. In our weakness. You know, I want to go back to Romans 5, just for a moment. Romans 5, I'm picking up where I left off before. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So number one, here's this notion and idea of weakness. If God is for us, nothing, even amidst our weakness, can threaten that. 
couple verses later. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God recognizes that we fall short, that we fail, that we sin. He still loves us and died for us. That's not the culmination. The culmination for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. While we're, you, you were living as an enemy because recognize when you're weak, and you make bad decisions because they're contrary to his purpose and will. You're not walking in his love. Then you become a sinner. And when you act out as a sinner, you become his enemy. You're living against his will. You're sowing seeds in the lives of others of brokenness. And you in yourself become broken. While you're weak... He sent his son. While you're a sin, sinner, he sent his son. While you lived as an enemy of his, he sent his son because he loves you. That's the depth of his love. That's how much he wants to reach down and grab you in your weakness. And lift you out of yourself. I started wa- watching recently, and I'll tell you why in a second, this series on Tuesday nights at 10 o'clock. It's called Person of Interest. Anybody ever see that? Or seen it advertised? It's really kind of a different show, but I'll tell you what drew me in in the first place is I noticed that Jim Caviezel was the star. He was the Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. So I figured if he's in it, it's got to be pretty good. So I checked it out, and actually it really is a, a, a woven story about good winning over evil. It's just real complicated. It's got computers in it, which I don't really get, but I like the storyline. Recently, recently one of the agents, as they're called, One of his co-workers, working for good, Agent Shaw is her name. She's an attractive brunette that shows no emotion. She shows no emotion. And when you see her, you think there's something broken in her. And as the story unfolds, you discover that her father, at an early age, was killed tragically, and she was there. But in a recent episode, she said to Jim Caviezel, the universe is infinite, cold, and chaotic, and there is no plan. Infinite, cold, and chaotic, and there's no plan. Do you feel that way sometimes? Now, she got one part right. It is infinite. But it's not chaotic. Because God created everything that is. And the word creation, we refer to as cosmos. And the word cosmos means order. God has ordered this world. Yes, it's fallen. Yes, it's broken. But it's not chaos. 
especially when you live according to his purpose. It's not code if you understand the depth of God's love. God loved the world so much, he gave his only son. And it's not without a plan. God has a plan. And Jesus is part of that plan. For you to come to an understanding of the depth of his love. His plan of salvation. And his plan of changing your life. Later on in the show, the person that they were trying to rescue turns out to be a guy who has faith. And his response to being delivered from the life-threatening situation he was in, well, it was all part of his plan. And so Jim Caviezel looks at Agent Shaw and she says, maybe I don't know everything. Seems to work for him. Interesting comments. Maybe she's on her way. The question is, where are you? When it comes to your sense of the universe. Is it chaotic? Is it cold? Is there a plan out there? And if not, whose plan is it? And if not, where are you delivered from this chaos and the coldness? See, when it comes to a person of interest, to God, you're more than a person of interest. He's someone that loves you and sees that you're broken and he sees that you're weak and he sees that you have need and he sees that you can't accomplish what you need to yourself. You need a Savior. You need a Lord. You need all things working together for good in your life. And the question is, do you love him? Because he loves you. No matter how much you've sinned. No matter how much you've lived as an enemy. No matter how broken your life. He loves you. And he calls you to live according to his purpose. To discover that all things work together for good. But it begins with, do you love him? And are you his? And will you live according to his purpose? Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, at times we all feel tremendously weak and we struggle. At times we live in rebellion and we sin. And at times we want you to work for our purposes and not be wholly submitted to you. Lord God, I pray this day that you would 
break into our lives anew. For those here who have never truly known you, that they would open their hearts and their lives. That they would admit their weakness, their failure, their sin. And see you ready to forgive. Ready to love. You love them now. Ready for them to live in your love and live with your purpose. Lord, I pray that even as we look at your cross before us, we know the resurrection. We know that brokenness can turn to redemption and weakness can be turned to power and that all can work together for good with your eternal purpose. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives to the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to know, to know, not to wonder, not even just to hope, but to know your love in your son, Jesus Christ, and the power to live with your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.